Welcome to Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry. And we have started eschatology, um, which is the final topic of Systematic Theology 3. And we introduced this important topic uh, last time with the reasons for why we think you should study eschatology. Uh, We also mentioned that the classic approach eschatology is to study it typically in two ways. You have, first of all, individual eschatology, and then secondly, you have cosmic eschatology. And so today we're going to begin that first category of individual eschatology. Uh, This deals primarily with uh, topics of of the death of the individual, uh, and then of course what happens after death, often referred to the intermediate state, Um, and then cosmic eschatology, which we're going to at some point deal with, uh, deals with the topics of the return of Christ, tribulation, millennium, last judgment, resurrection, new heavens, and new earth. Uh, but today we're going to begin individual eschatology and with that wonderful, uplifting topic of death. But you speak about a lot. Well, I, yeah. Um, so what happens when you preach through Ecclesiastes? Yeah. Um, so uh, death is, if you didn't know, inevitable. Uh, It is a reality that all of us must face. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said that there are two great realities. Uh, In his famous line, he says there are taxes and there are death. Um, But more importantly uh, than Benjamin Franklin, the Bible testifies to this. Uh, So Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 2 through 3, it says, it is the same for all. There's one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean, and for the unclean. For the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice, as the good man is, so is the sinner, as the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is Mm. in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 2 says, there's an appointed time for everything. There's a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth, and a time to die. Um, What's the point? The point is that there's none who can escape this. Um, There's one conclusion to every life, and it is always death. Uh, In fact, it is why I say often that the death rate is 100%. Everyone always dies. In fact, you spent... We asked you to come and preach. I don't know. I don't remember why, but you came and preached, and this was the one. You, uh, the topic you spent uh, talked about was death, and I, I laughed because the first fifteen twenty minutes was you just simply assuring everybody that they <laughs> were going to die, and you said it with the most grave tone in your voice, and I'm like. There, there are people, I, I watched them because I was sitting near the back to see how people reacted, and they're, they're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the one where uh, he, he raises the widow's son? Yes, yeah. yes. And so you just lay it out, the, the inevitability of it, and it was Well, we brutal. forget. I know, I know. Yeah. I, I was happy you were doing it, but... In fact, I, I did a funeral yesterday, and my opening line was... Um, 
how Solomon says it's better to go to a house yeah, of mourning. Yeah, I do the same thing. Than a, a wedding feast, um, for, for it is there that you contemplate your end. Yeah, it produces I, wisdom. What I like with that one as an introduction in a funeral sermon is that it makes it easy for you to then be somewhat brutal with the people mm -hmm. because you know, you you've torn off torn off the band-aid or the or the pretty cover and and it's like look we can all pretend I can give you a happy little thing or we can just deal with this um yeah. I mean I I had one here just recently where I said you know for some of you um because then I got into the the certainty of the resurrection mm -hmm. and um and to be with Christ and and I said for many of you here you will see Brian again. Um, death is not the end. Yeah. Uh, but for some of you here, you'll never see him again unless you repent. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, this might not be a fun funeral sermon, but that's brutal reality is that guy is lying in a cask of his body. He's in the presence of Christ, and you'll never see him again unless you repent. So it kind of makes it easy for you to say that because it's better to go in the house of mourning than yeah. Yep, one of feasting. Um, I am freezing, and I I thought, why am I so cold? I looked at the weather. It, you know what the temperature is outside right now? Nine degrees, a balmy nine with a wind chill advisory. It's That'll like, do it. Yep, and yeah. we're also in a basement. Yeah. So, anywho, um, now there are people then religions and ideologies uh, actually who will deny this. Uh, an example, uh, you have the Hindus and they embrace something called Maya. I guess that's the right way to say it, Maya, M-A-Y-A, -A, yeah. which means illusion. Now, in other words, what they say is life and death are both illusions. They don't really exist. Uh, in a similar way, Christian scientists also deny death. Um, they also believe it is merely an illusion. Uh, many of, of these perspectives are birthed from a hatred of the inevitable. No doubt these viewpoints become a true belief, but if you trace back the development, many are the result of desiring to deny the undesirable, which is death. Mm -hmm. uh, even for those who embrace the reality of death, most don't like to think about it. Death is not obviously a pleasant topic, and it's feared by most. Even for Christians, we resonate with our Lord who hated and even wept at the presence of death, as he did in John 11. When, and when Christians talk about the death of a loved one, they'll, they'll say things like, well, he's passed, or he is in a better place. Yeah, that's the, the euphemism. We want to call right. anything, but he's dead. Um, in fact, even as we look at the body in a casket, it has been prepared by embalmers whose basic philosophy is to render the dead as if they're merely sleeping. We simply don't like to talk about death or see it in its unadulterated form. It doesn't make us happy or even help us grieve. And we, we saw that in that funeral we, in Serbia, right? Mm -hmm. The exact opposite. They didn't have any embalming. So when you die, they they got to get you in the ground quick, right? And, and and the person's not made up and not put makeup on or anything else. And it's a lot more brutal there. And I think nations that practice that actually are better off than we are, where we we do everything in our power to separate ourselves from that harsh reality that they're dead. Um, uh, in Hebrews 9.27, it states that we all have a divine appointment. It says, it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. To put that more in the active voice, it would be that God has determined all of us to die at a particular moment and in a particular way, and after that moment comes the judgment. 
So of the billions who have existed throughout the history of humanity, only two exceptions are recorded in Scripture, which is why every time you say it's 100% certain that you'll die, I always think, well... (laughs) (laughs) 99.999 repeating. Kind of like dying of COVID. Um, (laughs) I went there. Uh, But Enoch in Genesis 5 and Elijah in 2 Kings um, chapter 2, those are the two exceptions where the Lord took them away. Yeah. So that's a reality, right? Right. Um, so the question is, is then why does death happen? Um, and the answer to that is primarily due to our identification with Adam. Um, so 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22 says, for since by a man death came, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Um, in theology, this is what's referred to as the doctrine of solidarity, mm-hmm. um, that if you're in Adam, it is by virtue of that, he is your head, your representative, that death comes for you. Uh, Romans 5.12 says, therefore, just as through one man, meaning Adam, sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we can't minimize our own personal sin and how our own personal sin and rebellion has brought forth death and therefore condemnation. Um, but the Bible more so presents death as a result of our solidarity again with Adam. He is our father, he is our representative. Um, so biblically, every human is in Adam, therefore every human must die. Uh, Romans 5 is clear that death came through sin Sin was the result of that man's disobedience. And since Adam is the head of the human race, we inherit his guilt and his consequences. Um, I made that point the Sunday I was a guest preacher at another church, and we got it, I dealt with that very aspect of being in Adam or in Christ, and though, that these are two different realms. Um, anyhow, yeah, that, no. that doctor mm-hmm. of solidarity. Yeah. Now, uh, solidarity with Adam, again, doesn't, it doesn't minimize our own personal responsibility and contribution. Don't make that mistake. Um, uh, but, but both the scripture presents both as true. And so we must hold both of them together. Uh, we are guilty and we receive the right consequences of death because we're in Adam. Um, and we are guilty and receive the right consequence of death because we are personally sinful and rebellious ourselves. Um, and, we dealt with that in the doctrine of sin. Yeah. Um, so in order to understand this rightly, you have to understand that doctrine of, of solidarity. Um, Christians are made righteous. They're saved. They'll be raised because they're in solidarity with Jesus. They're in Christ, in other words. Uh, so also in our natural state, we're unrighteous. Uh, we're lost. We're condemned uh, because we're in solidarity with Adam. We're born in Adam. Uh, the point here is that death comes as a result of our identification with Adam, and that is why uh, death is a reality. Okay, so with that in mind, without becoming too morbidly introspective, Scripture then counsels us to do something we don't do, which is to contemplate our own death. In fact, it is wise. Um, and we just talked about this in Ecclesiastes 7, 2, and 4. It's better to go into the house of a morning than to go into a house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. In other words, we don't dwell on death um, 
in an unhealthy manner so as to have it lead to depression or being overwhelmed, but it is still a wise person who does dwell on it for godly purposes. Contemplating death and being confronted with your uh, our finitude, finitude, is that the right way to yeah. say it, um, constrains the Christian to live in a different way. It helps us order our life. That's so important. It helps us order our life in the light of the inevitable judgments of God, which is the great conclusion of Ecclesiastes. So he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments. Why? Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil, which that's is a, a little scary. That's a frightening thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, so question, what would you do if you knew you were going to die within a few days? Well, according to the country western song, you'd uh, ride a bull named Fu Manchu, I think it's called, or you'd jump off, go skydiving or some dumb thing. The question actually is an unrealistic one because the odds are enormous against you dying in just such a short period of time. Uh, we could never maintain the intensity of living over a long period of time, yet attempting to sustain a perspective that we have only a short time to live. So that is not the point of Ecclesiastes' uh, admonition. Our posture should not be one in which we walk around in fear with a cloud over our head, expecting our moment of death at any second. But it is good and wise to ask this question every now and then, because it forces you to ask, what are you living for? It causes us to sober up when we get lazy, casual, flippant, wasteful, and begin to make decisions, whether they're big or small, without careful thought as to the biblical God-honoring reason. Not to mention, we will give an account for every act, word, and thought. In that way, you almost kind of like, can I die sooner? Because <laughs> I'm a big idiot. Yeah. Um, okay, so what what actually is death? Um, kind of a strange question, but if you were to ask someone just what is it, they might struggle to respond. Um, the primary meaning, actually, of the concept is the idea of separation. And we're going to argue that, that that's sort of the key concept. It's huge, yeah. Um, so the Bible speaks about death or separation in three different ways. Uh, Michael Vlock, who's a theologian, is helpful in this. Uh, he said the first is your physical death, which, of course, involves the separation of the material from the immaterial. In other words, the separation of the body from the soul slash spirit. Um, the second would be what the Bible describes as a spiritual death, uh, which is just living a life alienated or separate from God. So Ephesians 2 verse 1, uh, when Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He talks about you being alienated. Yeah, but but it's interesting because I would argue that's the, a worse kind of death than the physical death. Like in the garden, he says, on the day that you ate of it, you shall die. And one of the people, people will like to call that a contradiction because they didn't die. And then I hear some theologians say, well, that's just God's grace. I'm like, no. They died. In fact, they died the death that was the worst of the two. Um, they died and in the sense that they were immediately now in separation from a perfect communion with their creator. Yeah, and, he no longer walked with them in the cool right, of the day, right? Right. Um, and then the third is that eternal death, which is, of course, separation from God, or as we're going to say or show, life itself, uh, true life for all of eternity. 
All right. That what you just said is very important. It's it's that separation from life itself, true life. So um First of all, let's just talk about the nature of physical death, and we'll only start this today. Um, we'll begin by giving a scriptural perspective, and then next time uh, we'll get into a physiological medical perspective. Uh, first, in Scripture, death is presented as cessation and dissipation of the material aspect of the human nature. In other words, the body ceases from its physiological functions. In other words, the lungs shut down, the heart shuts down, etc. The result is that the life principle or energizing force, if you want, which motivates and energizes the physical body is withdrawn. That's a wordy statement, but if you've ever seen a person die, that actually is an excellent description. There's this point where you're looking at a person, and they might even look at you. I, I've had this where a person's alive, and he's looking at you, and then he's gone. And and there's something intangible. It's like it, he's gone. Yeah. Um, it, all, the, all the parts are still there. <clears throat> yeah. Nothing has changed <laughs> in that sense, but he's gone. There's no question. Right. Um, it's very strange. Um, in, in Genesis 2-7, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, literally a living soul. Um, here we see the we see the material aspect of human nature. In fact, the, the language of dust from the ground as well as breath of life. A common interpretation of this passage understands that this is where God introduces the uh, oh, you're going to take a different position. Uh, probably not. Okay. Uh, a common introduction. <laughs> say, I'm I'm reading his script. Okay. A common introduction. Just like I found out what we believed about Lord's Supper. If you yeah. Will. <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun to write write scripts and not tell the other guy what you wrote. Um, so, a common interpretation of this passage understands that this is where God introduces the soul spirit into the human. However, we see this breath or life-giving principle in every living thing. Oh, I see what you're getting at. Yeah. In Genesis 1.20. So it's best not to see it as a reference to the soul. Sure. Okay. I'll, I'll go with that. Something unique to humans, meaning that like image of God kind of. Because the same thing is happening to right. animals. Right. It, it's very clear. Uh, it's nephesh, right? right. Um, the Hebrew word. Mm -hmm. Rather, it's talking about the life-giving principle. This is what makes a dog or a goldfish different from a rock. Uh, there is life and energizing animation of the physical and uh, material. So what then is physical death? It's a reversing of it. Uh, Solomon clearly states this in Ecclesiastes 12.7, then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Um, so the energizing principle, which activates our body, is now gone. This is why a dead person who was alive just minutes prior is no longer living. They still have all the physical elements and properties that they just did uh, a few minutes before. However, none of it is animated. Nothing physical has yet dis dissipated, but the life-giving principle has ceased animating the material aspect of that person. So James draws on this when he says in uh, 2.26, the body without the spirit is dead, that, that spirit being the life principle. Yeah. Um, secondly, death is also presented in Scripture as the unzipping of the material from the immaterial aspect of human nature. Um, so death 
is the, the temporary separation of, and this is important, two essential properties which make up the human, um, namely the body and the soul. Um, so death is not the end of all existence, rather it is the end of existence in this earthly body. Yeah. Um, so that's really like big. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in theological terms, um, we are, that is human beings considered to be complex beings. Uh, that is we're material and immaterial or body and soul. This is different from spiritual beings. Um, so, for example, angels, uh, who are considered in theological terms to be simplex, that is, their essential property is non-physical, or you could just say spiritual. Um, so, to be human uh, in its fullest sense is to be an embodied creature. Um, it was God's perfect design for us. Uh, we were never designed to be immaterial only. Um, and so, what is death? Well, it's the undoing of what God has rightly joined together. Uh, so, to be without your body is to be in a very abnormal state. Yes. Um, in fact, it is a rightful consequence of sin. Um, it is God separating us from the medium through which we enacted our sin. It's interesting because Paul brings this up in, I think, at 2 Corinthians 5, he, and he says that um, when we're, we die, this earthly tent, our body is decaying, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and we have waiting in, in the future, uh, eternal dwelling, which is our eternal body. Um, but in the in-between time, he describes as a person who's died and is with Christ as naked. Right. In, in other words, we, we kind of think of, oh, it, that's, everything's good now. Well, actually, no. Uh, everyone who dies, if they're in the presence of Christ, that's a wonderful thing. But it's, they're still not finished. They're waiting for that union, yeah. right? of the body and the soul. Yeah, and in a couple of episodes, we'll, we'll get into the intermediate state. Yeah. So Paul says it's better to depart, yet, so, so some way, in some way it's better than here, mm -hmm. but he says it's still undesirable because he's not clothed. Yes. So it's interesting. Very, I hope they'll <laughs> enjoy it. Yeah. Um, where uh, are we at? Uh, I'm on four. Um, so yeah, what, what, is the what is death? It's separation of the physical from the non-physical, and it's God separating us from that medium through which we were enacting our sin. Um, as an aside, people will wonder why those who died and were not Christians are still going to be resurrected in a new body before the judgment. It's a good question. Um, I, I, I would argue it's because to be human is to have a body. Um, it's one of our essential properties. In other words, what is God doing? Well, he wants us to be a whole person as we stand before him in the judgment. We are to be judged holistically. And let me add a little bit more terrifying, uh, gruesome sense of that. And, and that just as our body raised, we're now fit to dwell with God. Mm -hmm. The one who is outside of Christ is raised so that his body is now fit to receive an eternal wrath. Right. Which is frightening. Yeah. And this is conjecture, I'll admit. We can't know for certain. Um, but, but since a, a, and you think about it, but since a just judgment for sin is the separating of our earthly bodies from our soul, then those consigned to hell may, uh, in, in fact, hmm. lose their resurrected bodies post-judgment. Um, so Christians will be given a new body for all of eternity, but unbelievers may only possess their resurrected bodies hmm. for the judgment. Can't prove it, um, but uh, it's worth 
think consider, about. Yeah. Um, and again, we're going to get more into that stuff when we talk about the intermediate state, but it brings up a host of relevant issues for today and what it means to, to rightly think about our physical bodies. Um, something actually which Christians tend not to think about, though it's very, very biblical. Um, but I would argue that's because we're actually more Gnostic than we know. Uh, we don't give a lot of thought to that. So we'll get into some of that next time, but probably enough for now. Uh, this just begins our discussion on death. And next time we'll pick it up with a physiological definition of death. Um, this is how the scripture presents it, but we'll see how death is viewed in the West, um, specifically from a medical or biological perspective. Uh, and that is important because it gets into some of those ethical issues, specifically beginning and end of life issues, uh, but that's all to come. Uh, so until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We would love to hear your thoughts on eschatology and death. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and tell a friend.